There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. College is a time of growth, independence, and change. It's meant to be a beautiful time with memories that last forever, and not one that leaves behind a body and fear. On November 28, 1968, a young woman with a wonderful life ahead of her was brutally killed on her college campus. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Elizabeth Ruth Ardsma, Betsy to those who knew her, was the second of four children born to middle-class parents in Holland, Michigan. Though raised in a religious and quite conservative household, Betsy developed more liberal ideals and showed a deep concern for the underprivileged. After graduating high school with honors in 1965, she enrolled in Hope College that fall with plans on becoming a physician and cemented her reputation as an intellect, a feminist, and just an overall fascinating individual. Moving to the University of Michigan the following year and studying art and English while living with three female roommates, by her senior year, Betsy was dating a medical student named David Wright, who, by all accounts, was her first serious boyfriend. After graduating with honors in the summer of 1969, Betsy made plans to join the Peace Corps, but told by David that he couldn't guarantee his loyalty if she traveled for such a length of time, she opted to instead enroll in Pennsylvania State University, where she lived with a fellow student named Sharon Brandt, kept her nose so far into books and studying that she rarely pursued any extracurricular activities, and spent the very little free time she had outside of school traveling to Penn State Hershey to spend time with her boyfriend. Though she seemed to excel for most of her life, by Thanksgiving time, those who knew Betsy started to notice how stressed she seemed. Having fallen behind on an English assignment, after spending the day before the holiday in the company of David, his roommates, and their girlfriends, she returned to her dorm the following day with plans to meet up with her professor to ask for some advice on her paper. When David drove her to the bus stop in Harrisburg, said his goodbyes, and watched her head back to school on November 27, 1969, he had no clue that this was the last time he would ever see his girlfriend again, the one who he planned on proposing to by Christmas. On the afternoon of November 28, 1969, Betsy and her roommate Sharon left their room and walked to the university's Petit Library to gather some research, and en route, the pair parted ways with the promise of meeting back up that afternoon to go to the movies. At approximately 4 p.m., Betsy spoke with one of her professors and claimed she planned on visiting the Stack Building. Shortly after, she ran into two of her friends and they briefly chatted before they entered the library. She placed her purse, jacket, and book inside of the cubicle assigned to her and then walked to the card catalog to find what she needed. Sure of its location, she walked down the stairs to the Level 2 core stacks at around 4.30 p.m., where the assistant supervisor on staff at the time, Dean Brungard, observed a girl in a red dress, likely Betsy, standing alone in an aisle while two men stood talking quietly nearby. Approximately 10 minutes later, another witness, Richard Allen, overheard a conversation taking place between a male and female. He could not see, but in the general direction of where Betsy was last seen. Though he could not make out their words, 
He later told the police that nothing sounded untoward, and he simply brushed the entire thing off. However, just a few moments later, Richard heard a metallic crashing noise and saw a man who he said looked like a student, quote, barreling past him. Left behind in the stacks was the body of 22-year-old Elizabeth Ruth Betsy Ardsma, who at some point between 4.45 and 4.55 was fatally stabbed a single time through her left breast that severed her pulmonary artery and pierced the right ventricle of her heart. Also witnessing the man running from the scene were two other students, Juo Uafinda and Marilee Eardley, who claimed that as he passed them, he was concealing his right hand and called out, that girl needs help. He then led them to the core where he pointed to Betsy's prone body. As Marilee began checking for a pulse, Joao saw the man, described as wearing khaki slacks, a tie, and a sports coat with brown hair, and approximately six foot tall and 185 pounds, try and walk out of the library. Suspicious of the man, he discreetly followed the individual up the stairs and out of the library. The man then began to run, and Joao was outpaced while heading in the direction of the recreation hall. This individual, who may or may not have been Betsy's killer, has never been identified despite numerous appeals. While he gave chase, Marilee attempted to render first aid and was soon joined by a group of bystanders. A call was placed to the campus hospital at 5.01 p.m., and responders were told at the time that the girl had only fainted inside of the library. Two student paramedics arrived minutes later, and she was quickly taken to the health center. While performing CPR, not realizing the magnitude of her injuries, an ambulance was called to help take her to the center. The problem was, because she was wearing a white turtleneck sweater at the time and a thick red sleeveless dress over it, the wound was not immediately obvious, and coupled with the fact that she urinated on herself as she fell to the ground, led the student first responders to believe that she had either simply fainted, experienced a seizure, or had some sort of non-critical ailment. It wasn't until she finally arrived at the health center and a more senior medical official came and found the blood seeping from her clothing that they realized what was really going on. The men were ordered to stop CPR immediately, and her blood-soaked clothing was cut from her body to reveal the stab wound. Unfortunately, there was nothing more that could be done, and Betsy was officially pronounced dead at 5.19 p.m. When an autopsy was done, they determined that she likely took her last breath just five minutes after being fatally stabbed. They also opined that the wound likely left her unable to scream for help. She essentially drowned in her own blood, and that the assailant was a right-handed individual who stood right in front of her and aimed at her heart. Assigning approximately 35 troopers to the investigation, the Pennsylvania State Police set up a command center in one of the buildings, conducted their inquiries, and interviewed hundreds of students on the campus. Searching everywhere for the murder weapon and coming up empty-handed, a $25,000 reward was offered and two composite sketches were created with the help of Marilee and Juo. Though just one was circulated to the public, police hoped the sketch could lead them to their culprit because at the moment, this was really the only evidence in the case that they had. That's because prior to being informed of Betsy's murder, the scene of the crime was compromised because library staff, still believing that she had simply fainted or fallen, ordered janitors to clean up the urine from the tile flooring 
and fixed the shelf and books that she knocked over, meaning any and all physical evidence possibly left by their killer was quickly cleaned up before the police even knew there was a crime to investigate. The only thing they managed to get were a series of small blood droplets that matched Betsy's blood type that were found on the staircase leading to level three. Working with what little they did have, police realizing that the killer approached Betsy from the front and that she made no attempts to flee or scream before the blade pierced her skin, theorized that she likely knew her killer. And after an exhaustive search and realizing that she was supposed to be with her boyfriend the day of her murder and not on campus, they discounted the possibility that she was being stalked. Finding no signs of distress or fear in her personal diaries, police were at a loss when it came to identifying a person who would want Betsy dead. While some theorized that she might have stumbled upon a homosexual encounter, an exhibitionist, or a man engaging in masturbatory fantasies, and that the chance encounter might have led to her murder, police found that just a few aisles away from the crime scene was a desk with a half-empty can of soda and a small stack of both heterosexual and homosexual pornography. In fact, searching further, they found more than two dozen of these magazines hidden between books in the aisle where she was stabbed, with traces of semen found on the floor in multiple locations. With one investigator later saying that there were traces of semen practically, quote, everywhere, investigators came to the conclusion that this particular spot in the library was a place for illicit sexual encounters, and that Betsy, stumbling upon it, might have seen something that she shouldn't have and died as a result. Unfortunately, all the fingerprints on the magazines were too smudged to use, and the ones on the soda can, though viable, failed to turn up any matches in the police database. More theories popped up, like the one that claimed the murder was due to an unsettled drug debt, despite the fact that though Betsy did smoke cigarettes, she never once used any drugs, but nothing ever really panned out in any meaningful way. Despite their best efforts and the president of the university conducting his own private investigation, Betsy Ardsma's case grew cold. Though the case to this day remains unsolved, the Pennsylvania State Police said that they are still actively seeking information and hope to one day have some answers. Because the case is unsolved, there have, over the decades, been quite a few potential suspects, rumors, and wild speculations. The first involves a 40-year-old sculptor named William Spencer, who relocated from Boston to Pennsylvania with his second wife just before Betsy's murder. Teaching sculpture at a local college while his wife studied for her PhD, William first came to attention when police got a call claiming he allegedly confessed to having, quote, killed that girl in the library at a Christmas party shortly after the murder. He was formally questioned in early 1970, and according to his own statements, he and Betsy were acquainted and she agreed to pose nude for his class in order to earn some extra money something that many found hard to believe because Betsy was considered a, quote, prude. He had actually been on level two of the library the day of the murder and had seen the man running away from the scene who he insisted was wearing an overcoat. He offered to construct a bust of the man and gave it to the task force, but in the end, it did little to help lead to an arrest. Finding the timing wasn't necessarily right and unable to corroborate the claims that she modeled for his class, William was dismissed by the investigators. Another potential suspect was Larry Maurer, a student who knew Betsy and met her just weeks before her death, 
Even taking her to coffee on one occasion, Larry claimed that there was no ill will between the pair. And although it's unknown if he passed or failed his polygraph test, he was quickly dismissed as a suspect because he did not in any way match the description of the man fleeing the library. Then there is Richard Hafner, who was presented as a suspect in books published by author Derek Sherwood and investigative journalist David DeCock. A professor at Penn State, both authors strongly believe that Richard, who at the time of the murder was a 25-year-old geology student, was responsible for the murder. A socially awkward individual, Richard was known to take extreme measures to obtain platonic relationships with women, allegedly to conceal his own homosexuality. Living just across the courtyard from Betsy, he was known for his erratic behavior, explosive anger, and was suspected of stealing several specimens from the university's geology department. He was also known to dress in khaki pants and a sport coat, had brown hair, and had been suggested as a suspect in the early stages of the investigation by Betsy's own roommate. According to Sharon, Richard had visited their apartment in early December of 1969 and admitted to meeting Betsy in late October. He said they occasionally socialized together, but just before her death, she ended their budding friendship and said that she wished to remain fully committed to David Wright. Referring to Betsy as his, quote, former girlfriend when he mourned the loss, Richard claimed that he was eating a meal in the student union building around the time of the death and said that he never once stepped foot in that particular library. Though the unreleased sketch allegedly looks a hell of a lot like Richard Hafner, he was never arrested in connection with the murder. He spent the next two years obsessively following the case, got his doctorate from Penn State, and went on to become a professor. Things, however, took a downward turn when, in 1975, Richard was charged with involuntary deviant sexual intercourse and corruption of minors, after two boys who worked in his family's rock shop accused him of molesting them. Though the trial resulted in a hung jury, the accusations caused irreparable damage. Further proving any suspicions against him, according to a friend of Richard's who filed a report several years after the murder, on the day of Betsy's death and shortly after 6 p.m., Richard ran into the house in a state of complete panic and yelled out, Have you heard? A girl I dated was murdered in the library. Though this seemed harmless at first, it contradicted his official account of movement given to the police. The man, Lauren Wright, did not tell police about the conversation until 1976 after he got into a fight with Richard. They remained close until Richard's death in March of 2002. He died alone in a hospital bathroom with a tear in his aorta that caused blood to enter his lungs, similar to Betsy Artsma's cause of death. Then in 2009, Richard's own nephew came forward and claimed to have overheard an argument between Richard and his mother, and shortly after that 1975 arrest for molestation, recalled the woman expressing concerns as to whether the police suspected him of killing, quote, that girl at Penn State after all of her efforts to protect him. The nephew believed that Richard must have confessed the murder of Betsy Ardsma to his mother and that she did what she could to keep him out of prison. She allegedly ended the argument by saying, you killed that girl and now you're killing me. In the end, though, any evidence against Richard Hafner was circumstantial at best, so no charges were ever filed. 
The last suspect I will mention is probably the most sensational. According to some enthusiasts, Betsy might just have been a victim of the infamous Zodiac Killer. Noting the similarities between this case and that of Sherry Jo Bates, another potential victim of Zodiacs, many lump Betsy in with his more unknown victims. In the end, though, all of this is speculation, and the murder of Elizabeth Ruth Betsy Ardsma remains unsolved. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on November 29th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.